This is the Selling Plugins Podcast, helping you get the most out of your WordPress plugin business. Find out more at sellingplugins.com forward slash podcast. And now on to the episode. Hello, everyone. We are live. Welcome to another edition of the Selling Plugins webinar series podcast. And today's is going to be on WordPress plugin acquisition. So that's actually buying or, or acquiring a plugin uh, or selling your own plugin or plugin business uh, to someone else. So not like selling a copy of or a license for your plugin, uh, if that makes sense. So um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully people can hear us. If someone could chime in in the chat, let us know that uh, we, are, we are audible because I can only do so much miming <laughs> as, to how, as to how we're actually going to be able to, hey, Scott, thank you. Uh, so we are we are audible. So that's good. So today is a kind of a special edition. Uh, so in addition to Cal, my trusty co-host, uh, we also have a couple of guests for the first time ever. Uh, so we have Phil Dirksen, in, who's above me. I don't know if it's in a different order for you guys. And uh, we also have Hello. Pippin Williamson uh, on this side for me. So um, <laughs> how about... Uh, he's down that He's way. down with this way. And, yeah. I'm the opposite side for you. <laughs> it's gonna be we can't do the Brady Bunch thing at all and like look at each other. <laughs> so yeah, how about we start uh with you, Phil? Maybe just a quick introduction of uh who you are, where you're working on, and kind of uh, maybe a couple of the plugins that you've uh sold or acquired along the sure. years. <clears throat> cool. Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Um yeah, I am the founder of WP Simple Pay. It's a uh plugin for accepting one-time or recurring stripe payments. And right now, that's the only plugin I have and am running and working on. But I am the former owner, creator, of, well, owner of Simple Calendar, which is a Google Calendar events plugin that I sold uh, mid last year, mid 2017. And before that, I uh, created and sold a Pinterest uh, sharing plugin in 2015. So that's my background in WordPress and products nice welcome to the show so then uh we've got pippin i'm pippin williamson i'm the founder and ceo of sand hills development which is primarily a wordpress development agency that builds a number of uh wordpress plugins including easy digital downloads for digital e-commerce affiliate wp for affiliate marketing of uh for say WooCommerce, EDD, Research Content Pro, Paid Memberships Pro, basically any store that runs either a membership or e-commerce plugin or WP Simple Pay from Phil. Um, and then also Restricts Content Pro, which is a membership plugin for WordPress. And then the last leg of our table right now is Sugar Calendar, which is a little events calendar plugin for WordPress. Um, so over the last seven or eight years, um, I've built a lot of plugins and sold a few of them. Um, Recently, I, I had originally built a plugin called Full Screen Background Images um, that I recently sold to a guy named Scott Deluzio, who just happens to be here today in the chat. Um, and then I've also built a number of other plugins um, and then sold them uh, as well as uh, granted new ownership of free plugins to, to people, basically giving them away. And then also um, in the last year or so, purchased a large number of add-on plugins for our Easy Digital Downloads platform. So I've been on both ends of the negotiation. Very cool. Good. So, and Kyle, you, you've you sold 
some plugins <laughs> at one point <laughs> and acquired. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, my name is Kyle. I also work at the same. I sit, I sit at the same table that Pippin does. You often describe it as a table with products of their legs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> works, I guess. So all those products that Pippin mentioned, I work on too. And my experience with plugin acquisitions is there's uh, a couple in the past that I have sold that were they were pretty modest. And I've taken over a few pre free ones in the past. And I've had uh, quite a number of negotiations with other people um, over a few years about acquiring other plugins. But during the kind of due diligence process, decided not to pursue it. And I just haven't found any that was the right fit for the time. So not as much uh, like experience with it as, uh, as Pippin and Phil, but uh, still been involved in these conversations quite a number of times. Sweet. And myself, I've got a couple of plugins now, one of which I didn't buy, but I essentially took over um, when it only had a free version. And then, yeah, so I haven't sold any plugins or, um, but I definitely thought about it, <laughs> you know, some days uh, when, when you just, you're on vacation, you get some sport tickets and whatnot. So I think this will be a great uh, thing to keep in mind for those who have a plugin and for those who are building one and want to uh, maybe one day sell it. So we're going to try and cover the questions we've got. Uh, we've got like the finding buyers, uh, things like, you know, how to value your business, uh, making a deal, what happens with the data, especially with, I don't, I don't know if anyone's heard of, uh, you know, uh, GDPR and, and, and all these emails of terms and conditions uh, flooding your inbox. <laughs> No, no, nobody, just me. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously that's an important aspect as well. So if you haven't already, um, you know, we may not have a chance to get to all of them, but uh, there's a link at the, the bottom. Hopefully down is still the same. <laughs> Ask a question. Mm -hmm. If you click on that link, uh, you can either upvote one of the existing questions or uh, ask your own or just enjoy us trying to answer them. So um, unless I'm missing something, Kyle, uh, why don't we jump in to one of the first questions yeah let's do it we usually sort them in order of their upvotes go mm -hmm. with the most popular questions first and uh brian we can take turns reading the questions if you want do you want to go first sure i will so i'll, I'll try and click the start answering button at the right <laughs> right time this time all right so um first question is from justin here justin how do you know what to sell a plugin for so this is like a business valuation. So for example, if you have one that earns, you know, say 50K a year, do you sell for that? Do you sell it for double, triple it? So I don't know if anyone wants to jump in uh, who's either bought a plugin or has sold it. <laughs> Obviously you want to sell it for at least yeah. like a hundred X what your annual uh, cost is such that yes. it takes 200 years to uh, get that return. <laughs> you can sell it for that power to you. <laughs> yeah, right, probably not uh, possible. I'll jump in. Um, so there's not really any set way to price it there's i mean because every every business is different every plugin is different um there's a few first things to consider um first of all i mean you gotta look at your revenue numbers um i mean what are they uh and i would in most cases i would i would think of your annual revenue as your minimum so if you make fifty thousand a year that's your starting point no no lower than that unless you're in a really unfortunate position so for example have your sales been declining year after year after year and you used to get 100 and now you're then you're 75 then you're 60 and now you're 50 you're gonna have a pretty hard time getting much more than 50 for that um another thing to consider is do you have um, automatic recurring subscriptions, or do you have manual renewals? Do you have one-off purchases? Um, are these? Are is your fifty thousand a year a year in revenue? Is any of that recurring revenue? 
Um, is that any of it from new customers coming back or is it all one-time customers purchasing a lifetime license? Um, in the case it's not obvious, a recurring revenue stream is going to be far more valuable than one-off lifetime revenue because if you have lifetime revenue, that means that you're going to have to be working to gain new customers constantly. Whereas if you're selling back to your existing customer base, you're going to be in a lot better position. Plus supporting um, and updating those right. <laughs> that plugin for them. Well, and I mean something to keep in mind is it's it's a whole lot easier to maintain a product if you have fifty thousand revenue from say a hundred customers rather than fifty thousand revenue from ten thousand customers. So the fewer the customers that you have, the easier it is to maintain it. Um, and then uh, let's see where was I going with that. So. I, I typically, assuming that your product is in a good position, you're not seriously significantly declining revenue, um, and maybe you have an upward trend, I would start looking around the 1.5x your annual revenue. So if you make 50000 a year, 75000 is going to be a pretty good starting point. Um, if you have a lot of um, valuable assets, then you might be able to up it up to 2x, 3x, et cetera. Valuable assets would be things like recurring revenue, very low expenses, high profit margins, um, large customer base. Um, so that, that's something else to think about is from a maintenance perspective, you want as few customers as possible. But from a value perspective, you want as many customers as possible. Because if you have 10,000 customers, it's a lot of, you have a lot more potential value in reselling to those 10,000 than if you only have 100 customers. Um, so there's something else to consider. Do you use um, gross revenue as your metric? Uh, because a lot of times, someone these little calculations will be based on um, net profit or on EBITDA. The uh, <laughs> EBITDA, yeah, EBITDA, <laughs> uh, um, which is earnings before uh, interest, taxes, yeah. depreciation, amortization. It's kind of a common um, analysis metric. I guess that's sort of related to yeah number of customers. Because chances are, if you have ten thousand customers for fifty k versus a hundred customers for fifty k, then I guess your cost, I think it's, which might, yeah, which might be different because it's your own time. Maybe it's going to be different for every negotiation. Uh, I mean, it's, some of it's going to depend on who's the buyer and what do they want to know. Um, I think starting out, like if you're just advertising your business for sale and you want to come up with a starting point, use your gross revenue. But then when you get into the actual negotiation, um, and then it's also depends on how transparent are you with your hey, my business is up for sale. I mean, if you want to go ahead and disclose your profit margins, your expenses, et cetera, it's, it's up to you. Um, but then once you get into negotiations, a, a responsible buyer is definitely going to start asking about, okay, what are your expenses? What are the main things that I'm going to now take on as soon as I buy your business? What's your profit margins, et cetera? And that may increase or decrease what they're willing to pay you for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on my experience is a little bit different and um but there's a lot of it depends it depends on um i mean the the buyer so i went through brokers too we can get into that right um as well but uh i always use net profit and well in the two I, in the two sales that i made through the broker we use net profit and um you qualify that though so if your buyer is not going to be another developer um, whether it's your own development time or you have development staff, um, you have to factor in that expense. And so like, um, yeah, if you're, if, if you don't have a, you know, you guys know salaries are one of the biggest expenses, right? So if you don't have that for a developer, then your net, your, your net rev, your annual revenue is going to be a lot. It's going to mean a lot, a big, much 
different thing. And I guess that the buyer so, too is a developer versus a non-developer, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if they're a developer, no. cool. They can like take over the maintenance and stuff. If they're not, yeah, right. you're going to have to hire someone, right? So, right. Yeah. Are they going to have to hire a six-figure developer after that or or what when they get it from you? Yeah. yeah. So, and the same, same thing goes with support staff, um, how much support, uh, like you're alluding to, Pippin, if it's less because you have less customers, that's definitely um, attractive. Uh, the big one, like you said, up, you know, is, is it is the trajectory up, steady, or down? Um, it, it, things like your mailing list size, that's that's worth something. You know, is it 100? Is it 1,000? Is it 10,000? And and so people that might be looking for plugins that aren't as familiar with or care about the freemium model may not care about this, but is there a free plugin that with a lot of users that goes along with it? Um, and yeah, you said recurring payments, of course that, um, and, uh, and so my experience with the two plugins I sold, it was about two to three X annual net profit, not revenue. Um, but that has gone up and down over the years too. I sold one in 2015 and then in 2016, just from other people I've talked to the, um, so I used FE international to broker the two deals. But it, a couple of years ago, the demand for plugins specifically was was down. I mean, it was SaaS has always been the biggest uh, seller, and you can get you know three, four, five x net profit on on SaaS usually compared to plugins or desktop software or e commerce sites or ad sites or whatever else you know online business is is on the market which is interesting because um, you think it you know like it's nice for wordpress plugin businesses where typically you get an annual license fee right as opposed to like monthly which can be a little more volatile but yeah it's, yeah maybe it's just yeah and in in mid 2017 when i sold my last plugin i actually didn't have recurring in place yet so i might have boosted the price even more then. But, um, but I heard just, we, you know, Kyle and I were at microconf here in, uh, in April or last month. And, um, I talked to, you know, FE International's represented there and I talked to the co-founder there and he said, you know, plugins have kind of come up a little bit again last year, the year before, uh, demand went down, but now they're up a little. So, you know, I think it just changes over time. For each of the plugins that I've sold, I got about 1.5 X, um, Mm -hmm. And each of those yeah. were, were pretty small plugins. Um, none of them were, were very sizable, um, and none of them had recurring revenue. I mean, they had they had they had license renewals, but none of them had anything automatic. Um, and so, if they had automatic, probably would have gotten more. And then for all of the plugins I've purchased, I've paid as low as one x all the way up to about eight x. Okay, revenue though, right? Yes, gross. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully that answers the question, uh, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> we we, we didn't just say this depends because that would have been terrible. <laughs> well, there's a lot of, there are a lot of factors really. Um, and like uh, Phil and Pippin mentioned quite a few of them. Um, but there's a couple uh, that I thought of also like things you can bargain with and negotiate a higher price. If you have a, trajectory where sales are on the rise obviously you mentioned if ticket volume is low you can bargain for a higher price because of that um if you have like a very high quality and stable product that isn't problematic or showing symptoms of being problematic uh you can use that to bargain in your favor and the inverse is true if, if it is if it tends to be or show signs of being a problematic product that might work against you and your pricing 
Um, like if you have a pretty well-established or evidence of a very established and reputable brand, positive reviews and things of that nature that can work in your favor when you're negotiating a price. Um, if you're, if, um, a significant percentage, the higher the percentage, the better of your sales, uh, come from organic, uh, sales as opposed to like, um, maybe through a specific affiliate or through like paid advertising or something that um, is uh, risky or costly uh, to maintain. Uh, more organic sales are better. Um, and uh, if, and sometimes it can be very attractive to a buyer if like there are very uh, like low hanging fruit, easy opportunities to improve the product and increase its value. So if you say, you know, like I just haven't got around to this, but like, you know, it, it all it needs is some easy things like add an affiliate program, add some simple feature add ons that are piece of cake add turn on subscriptions, some easy bug fixes. These sort of things can be used to bargain in your favor as well. And mm -hmm. like I think in the other direction, some things that can hurt you are like uh, downward trajectory in sales, high volumes of support, low ratings. And also one of the things to like watch for are just trends and features um, do a little research. There's a lot of things that you might find for sale. Like if you're in the, if you're in buyer mode and looking on like marketplaces where things are being sold, there are a lot of things that are for sale kind of because, uh, like they're in a declining, uh, trend, mm -hmm. maybe like a, a niche market that is not as popular as it once was, you know, maybe like slider plugins have seen their day a little bit. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, or Google Plus <laughs> plugins, maybe. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. Lots of things like self-hosted social networks, forums, courses, blah, blah, blah. All these things. Some of them are like peaking now. Some of them are bubbles. Some of them are kind of declining and had their day. Uh, so kind of like be aware of what your trends are. Maybe do a little bit of research on like, uh, I don't know, Google Trends and, and, and what's been popular in the past before investing in something or uh, be aware of like what's on the horizon before deciding to unload something. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, well, those are all good points, especially. And, and even though you can look at the trends by yeah, digging into the financials, at least you can see, like, like I said, if it's hundred K and then 75 and then 50. Yeah. Yeah. You can look at the trends for your specific yeah. product. That's yeah, important but, too. But I think also being mindful of the trends for that, the market, the product plays in. Yep. Uh, so maybe then you can turn it around and it's just a marketing problem. It's not, it's not actually a thing. So sweet. Yeah, that was a good, uh, good one. I think that touched on like a lot of the topics <laughs> that we kind of want to touch on anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm glad uh, we were able to go into some detail. So the next one is from Clifford, who is basically asking what stage in the plugin life cycle might be best to consider seeking doing mm -hmm. the acquisition. Which is kind of interesting as to, you know, plug in life cycle versus almost like personal reasons, you know, right? Like, which you might want to sell a plug in. Like, I don't have time for it. I'm working on something else, lost interest, whatever. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, mean, like, don't, I don't want to be in WordPress anymore. Joomla for the win. Um, <laughs> I think um, if yeah. you're um, looking to buy a plugin, then um, I think your goal, should, it depends on what kind of work do you want to do. I mean, do you want to buy it and then just sit back and relax um, and take advantage of what was already built? Or do you want to buy something really early, put a bunch of work into it and build it bigger than they ever would have the previous owner. Um, and so I think those are two very different points in time for the for a plugin. And then from a selling perspective, are you looking to build something and then sell it off at the most valuable point possible? Or 
Um, like Brian just mentioned, are you just are you just tired of it? You want to move on? You want to do something else? Um, it, every every one is different. Uh, I, I don't think there is a straightforward answer to it, other than if you know that you're not going to be there for the long haul, and you have a plugin to set like that you're going to sell, you you got to make a decision. So I decided that there's basically three things that happen to every single business, and this applies to individual plugins uh, or any other business. Number one is it is given to your children or your descendants or whoever takes it over. Um, that could be in five years, it could be in 50 years. It is sold or it dies. Those are really, there's three, those three things. One of those three things is going to happen. Um, and so I think you have to decide if you're going to, if you have a plugin and you're going to sell it, when do you want to sell it? Do you want to sell it when it's most valuable or do you want to sell it when um, you're just ready to close down shop and sell it for pennies on the dollar or, um, I mean, if you held on to it for 10 years, well, WordPress might not be here in 10 years. And if it's not, well, then your plug is not really worth anything. <laughs> so right now, when you're making $100,000 a year or 20000 or 5000 whatever your number is, um, maybe this is the peak value of it right now. Hmm. I mean, yeah, it's I can't entirely up to the owners to decide. I can't pass it down to my cats. So it's definitely a <laughs> definitely <laughs> consideration. Well, okay. So it's either going to slowly die or you're going to sell it, Brian. <laughs> uh, but it's true, well, right? Because you don't know and how you can't see the future too, right? So how do you know if you're at the peak and then you'll regret not selling it <laughs> or, or, you know, or, or the opposite, right? So yeah. <laughs> that was a yeah. On, on that note. So if you're on the selling end and it's still pretty new, um, even if you are starting to sell uh, and, and you know your revenue is going up pretty quickly, if it's only three months old, it's still hard to to demand that you know two x you know one and a half to three x whatever it is uh, net profit um, from that from that short lifespan. But on the buying side, if you're on the lookout for that, you have the kind of the advantage on the negotiating side there. Um, you know, I would really say, nice. yeah, yeah. I would say six to at least six months, preferably 12 months or more. And that's mainly for just the records to show, hey, it's been at this level for this long. It it dips down a little in, in December, but not like goes away. You know, how do they know that if December hasn't come yet? Mm -hmm. And um, and then just the record keeping that just that goes into something else. You'll just want to um, do do this from the very beginning if you haven't already or work on it now and that is make sure all your records for that product or suite of products plugins that you're going to sell is completely separated records from the from your other stuff so if you're mixing it in with freelancing or or what i did i had two separate plugins going at the same time um you know my stripe account my paypal account um the bank account was okay but uh, to have them mixed in because I didn't transfer that over, but um, it was, it, it was, you just have to, you have to start pulling, spending all the time to pull those all together and prove that they're separate to the guy doing the due diligence and, or the person who's, who's looking uh, at the records. Phil's, Phil's point is excellent about um, around the 12, you need to have around 12 months before you can really know what you can sell it for. Um, and I've got a, I've got a personal example from that. Um, when I first built ED. Uh, easy digital downloads, which is now seven years ago, I think. Um, within the first year, I had an acquisition offer. Um, somebody wanted to come in and buy it, and they wanted to buy the whole thing. Um, and they offered me 5x my annual revenue at the time, um, which was, and that was, they offered it at the seven month mark. 
uh, which was crazy because they had no record that I was that I was ever going to achieve anything greater than what I was already making. Um, they were looking at it from the perspective of, we think we know what the potential is here. We think we know that it'll be a worthwhile investment on our end. I was sitting there from the perspective of like, wow, this is a really big number. Um, but I think I can do a whole lot better if I sit here for three years. Uh, and so that's what I ended up doing. But so in, in one way, they were hoping to come in and give a really big number comparative to the current revenue, but small number in the overall potential of the plugin. And they were hoping to, to make a really good deal for them. Um, and so that was very smart on their part. Now, I think it was probably uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in retrospect, I made the right decision by turning them down because we did much better than we ever would have um, if we had sold it. But it's just one example of if you look at something, an early product, um, it can be very beneficial for a buyer to make a large offer comparative to the current revenue early on. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, just a question there in the chat from Brad, just to clarify, uh, you did, Brian, but yeah, so Stripe, I, I just accept um, plugin sales through PayPal and Stripe. Stripe's easy because you just go create another um, profile under your same login and you can just keep them separate that way. That's what I did. Uh, PayPal's a little different. I actually had to sign up separate. I, this is what I did. I signed up with a separate email and credit card and, and that kind of thing to yeah. keep them separate. You can still have the same bank account. At least that's what I did. But yeah. It may be. Yeah. And I don't know. Service you can't connect the same bank account. Yeah. I wish you oh, yeah. No, I, I I think I transferred. I sent. I don't know. It was it was a mess with PayPal. I, currently, I own two PayPal accounts that go to the same bank account. And I have to transfer from one PayPal to the other PayPal at yeah. to that bank account. Because yeah, that's what PayPal I did, too. Allow you to yeah. Same account to two. It's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, they not realize people have multiple streams of business. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> oh, and on that note, so Brad, you're asking that again. I have the both. That's a good point that made me think of this. I keep my, those products were completely, so Simple Calendar, it was simplecalendar.io. That's completely separate site from wpsimplepay.com. And so, yeah, I had EDD running on both, but um, they were not, I mean, I could, just easily offload one um, and keep the other. In fact, they were both hosted on my same WP Engine account. And WP Engine even has like transfer to another WP Engine account <laughs> feature. So that was easy. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Which I made that yeah. mistake because uh, I honestly didn't think the events calendar shortcode would do nearly as well as it did. So I'm like, oh, you know, it's easy. I still just throw it up on a page on event calendar newsletter. They are related. So that's kind of nice. There are a lot of customers that like have both which is fortunate because if it was completely separate, then it's like, yeah, now they're tied together on the same EDD instance and I can never really separate them effectively. So, yeah. yeah Cause, but if you were to sell them, you would sell them as a group. I think so. so. That would make yeah, sense. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I didn't plan that at the time. <laughs> Just like, I'm going to throw it on a page and like, see if anyone buys it. Yeah. But for people with, you know, unrelated plugins, you think I might want to sell my uh, Google calendar plugin and, and keep my other plugin exactly. then, yeah, you want to keep them, you want to split them off as soon as you can, um, unless you plan on just keeping them. Yeah, forever, but you, you never you know. now split two different products off four years or four to eight years into them being a product? Do it early. Don't do it late. It's <laughs> yeah. so much harder. Especially with recurring revenue, right? Like the uh, so it's a nightmare. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one, one thing on that, though, Pippin, I don't know if you know, because I, like I said, I sold Simple Calendar before I had recurring payments in. So they, the buyer actually just fired up a new Stripe account and switched the keys. 
but with recurring payments, you can't do the actually have to transfer the, the right. PayPal. Unless they get in touch with Stripe and they're super awesome and will move the subscriptions right. for you, but I haven't, I kind of doubt that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So you have to train. Yeah. So you really do need to have it separate. Otherwise, yeah, some kind of, you know, you can't really do a forwarding or anything, right? Like, or maybe you can't. You, know, you really, mm -hmm. you can't use that account anymore. So, right. so keep in mind. Uh, any other thoughts, uh, Kyle, or do we want to jump? jump I think uh, you guys covered it pretty well. I think like the 12 months mark is, is an important milestone because a lot of the metrics are based on uh, what, what it does in a year. Um, so that's that's kind of like a, a baseline yeah. starting point before like if you're this is the selling perspective like once you've got a product i probably wouldn't start actively like pursuing buyers and trying to sell just share that a plugin's for sale until i've done 12 months um yeah but <laughs> after that like if it's not my thing if, if i know this is not my future in this product i'd probably unload as quick as possible yeah. uh or, or i mean the longer you have it the more likely like your personal brand becomes tied to it. You become known as like the person for this product. And that becomes, that kind of like complicates the, the, the value or the interest from a buyer or like your, uh, what people know you for, for years after that, that can be a thing. Um, I'm actively just the more you're investing in the, like the business and, and like how it operates. And all Another thing to consider with, um, if you're looking around the 12 month mark is if you're trying to come up with a price based on your first 12 months, pay attention to what your first month's revenue is versus all your other months. Um, and when those months are in the calendar year. So for example, you may have a really, really great first month because you got a good marketing push to get people in the door immediately. Well, if you do 10,000 your first month, but you only do 3000 the next months, you cannot say that you have 10,000 monthly revenue because you actually have about 3,000 if, if that's what the rest of the month shows. And then, mm -hmm. okay, what time of year did you did you start? December is notoriously slow. February, March is usually, and, mm -hmm. and April and May, springtime basically is usually pretty slow. Um, and so those are all going to affect your average monthly numbers that you're going to be able to tell someone. And some, an astute buyer is going to notice those things too. Yeah, and exactly. Um, even for SaaS uh, products that are mostly monthly recurring, if they do like a Sumo a app Sumo deal or something and sell off annual licenses and get a ton of that in one month that throws things off and savvy buyers are going right. to, they're going to see that. Yeah. So yeah, they right. want to see right. some reasoning. Just so is it like with houses, is there like a season to sell? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Spring, springtime when it's slow. So people are less busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can look at things. I'm sure there is, but I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, if anyone wants to offload or, or buy my uh, WP illegal Bitcoin mining plugin, um, yeah, it, is, it is for sale. It's only been active for about two months or so. Um, so yeah, buy now. So it's a bargain right now. <laughs> <It's a bargain. laughs> It'll be fine. Cool. Uh, so hopefully that helped. Uh, good. So our next uh, question is, oh, we have a, a three-way tie, but we'll start uh, with Shanta. So, um, uh, so I don't know if Shanta's here, but yeah, I know she was, she was uh, introduced to this is a plugin related to um, uh, kind of a family tree. And there was a couple other ones as well. But basically when she was looking at developing the plugin, uh, of course she looked at what other plugins existed in the space and none, uh, you know, were kind of currently working and, and there weren't, you know, two years between updates maybe and very few installs. So I guess what would make you decide to take over an existing plugin in the repo versus starting from scratch? Like, yeah, 
So this is so that now we're in the territory of adopting free plugins, right? Yeah. So or selling, some, some, some people buy a free plugin. Yeah, or buying one for say a lower price. So number, I'll say that number one. Um, even I, I don't know about the really high like top twenty free plugins and and their acquisitions, what those go for. But um, I actually acquired Simple Calendar was originally called Google Calendar Events, and I actually went on uh, kind of hunted around for free plugins on the repo that had not been updated in a while. Maybe the two year mark was already on there. Um, and, but it was, it, it had, you know, say 200,000 downloads. I don't think there was active installs at the time, 200,000 downloads or more. Um, and just, you know, a lot of people using it, but it, but there was no pro version and it wasn't being updated. And it was something I, I you know, that I was interested in, in this case, Google calendar. I think that's kind of fun. I used, I've used it for 10 years, whatever. So um, there's actually this site, and I think it's still working. I'll paste it in here. Searchwbplugins.com kind of did narrow down some of that. I don't know how great it works these days, but, and I just reached out to say five or six of these kind of plugins that um, met this criteria and got a whole, I, I heard some no's and didn't hear from some, but then, yeah, one author was like, yeah, I'm going to focus on my uh, consulting business. And I kind of, I, I have this popular plugin, but I don't want, I'm not interested in creating a pro version or working on it. So, yeah. It, so we went back and forth for a while, but I basically adopted that and I had to rewrite or I had it um, rewriting and, and, and refactor a bunch of stuff, but eventually turn that into something that I could build paid add-ons on. And that's how the simple calendar thing started for me. So that's why I've never actually bought a plugin, but um, built that up. Took a lot of time to get it, get it to a point where you could build on top of it. But, um, that's, that's the route I went there. And same with mine. I mean, it, it was not, I, I didn't actively go looking for that particular plugin. I just, it was just chance. Like I spoke at a WordCamp uh, on the events calendar and someone came up to me after and, you know, we chatted over a couple of WordCamps as well. And just, it was like, I've got this plugin, don't really want to maintain it anymore. You know, um, it's just not something I don't want to make a pro version of it. So is this something you take over? There's tons of support and we've added so many options and I don't know what to do. I'm like, okay, well, you're not selling it very well. <laughs> so it's <laughs> totally something I want to take over. I just couldn't see where a pro version existed at the time. So I think there's, yeah. a, there's a few good reasons why you might look at taking over a plugin or um, building a new one. Um, so I recently sold off another of my plugins. Um, it was called Simple Google Maps Shortcode. Uh, which is, it was a free plugin on WordPress.org. All it allowed you to do was display a Google map of a particular address on a page. Well, uh, the guy that acquired it is a guy named Gordon that runs Web Factory. Um, and his, his interest in the plugin was that he already had a number of Google Maps plugins and he was looking to introduce another one. And I had, um, my, my plugin was one of the highest install counts uh, for the plugin that fit his criteria for what he was looking at. And so he said, well, between... Uh, between the slug of the plugin on WordPress.org, which can be very valuable, the name of the plugin, um, the the position it has within the WordPress repository, the active installs, mine was the one that fit the bill for him for what he was looking for, um, and so we we made a we made a deal and sent the plugin over to him. So you might look at, um, I mean, if you're if you're looking to introduce a particular plugin, look at what the options are in in the WordPress repository. It's if you're looking at a free plugin, for example. Uh, this is different if it's a commercial plugin. Um, 
and look at which plugins hold which names, which ones hold which positions in the search results, et cetera. Um, and mm -hmm. if you're looking to introduce a plugin, but there's one that clearly dominates it, um, you might look and see if that's an option for you. Uh, either, either because the they cur current owner is interested in giving it over to somebody else or selling it, or it's within your budget or your um, ability to get hold of it, um, it might be a pretty good starting point. Starting from 10,000 active installs is a heck of a lot easier than starting from zero. Because the moment you push an update out, that then introduce whether, I mean, if you're looking for a commercial interest, the moment you introduce those, either those paid features or paid add-ons, you have a starting potential user base of 10,000 active sites or whatever number of sites the plugins running on. I mean, some of the really big plugins, we're talking about millions and millions of sites. Um, they may not have any direct revenue associated with those, but simply their position on the web with the number of installs they have is tremendously valuable. Yep. And that's, that's exactly what ended up happening. And when I made the pro version, pushed the update, obviously people are slow to get the update <laughs> after a couple months, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, uh, two months later, only 20% updated. That's not good. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, some, then it, it, it was a big customer base. Just. I'm sure some owners of free plugins at a certain point are going to, you know, they're going to sell it for something. So be prepared on what you what you think the value of that is. And, um, you know, what uh, even if even if there's no pro version to it, um, maybe they have a mailing list or a website that goes along with it, stuff like that. You know, yeah. So. Well, we do. We did mention like some more standard metrics that are commonly used for acquiring a commercial plugin. There isn't so much of a standard for commercially acquiring just a free uh, plugin with a user base. So the that's valuation is going to be much more up in the air. Like, what? How much do you value it, and how much does the current owner value it, and size of the user base and stuff. But uh, there are there aren't really standards there to gauge that. Uh, the name Pimpin mentioned is pretty important too because those can't be changed on WordPress.org. Uh, so if it has a good slug, that's cool. And if the slug sucks, that would be a crutch for you. Um, I, you know, would look for names that are a little bit flexible, allow you to take a plugin wherever you want to go with it. So something short that's names. like super, yeah, short <laughs> names are good. Something that's like really super descriptive like disable comments on posts for subscribers <laughs> would be like not very flexible but if but like comment disabler would be like would open the door for you you could use that it's short it's it's a little it's it's still descriptive but could allow you to you know like experiment with pro features uh so those are some of the really important things to look for when acquiring a plugin and obviously mm -hmm. the, the code's right there so you can examine and and use the plugin and dive in and see like uh, how much, what its support volume is. You know, you can come up with your evaluation. Everything is like publicly there uh, and you can determine how much work would this be before I even, uh, you know, if I were to take this over. Uh, yeah. How much, how much work it would be to, uh, and if you needed to rewrite it. And then if you're not used to this already, if you're not used to pushing out an update to, 80,000 active installs, what that might mean. <laughs> that the hard a little, little nerve-wracking. Yeah, don't uh, don't uh, push an update, forget to SVN add a file because you're using Git, and then go off to a concert with really bad reception and have a bunch of people getting a white screen. Not that I've ever done that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'd highly recommend yeah. you know that. 
<laughs> Pushing out an update to 10x, so 80,000, that was 10x my active installs of my other mm-hmm. plugin. There's a lot more things that can go wrong. Yes, that's for sure. And I would I would keep in mind that like for anybody who has a user base that large, um, there's a very, very good chance you're not the first to approach them. Um, this is a this like there's still a lot of space for this sort of thing, like browsing the repository, finding potentially abandoned plugins. They don't even need to be abandoned for someone to be interested in uh, transferring ownership, but um, it's not a brand new idea. And and a lot of it's happening every day right now. So anybody who has a sizable user base has already been approached probably numerous times. So hopefully you'd either meet them at a word camp. Don't stalk them. But like, oh, like I see you live here. You'll probably be at that word camp. Some uh, of them are super <laughs> hard to find too. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't just obtain their contact information and WordPress.org isn't going to no. give that sort of information out. No, unless they have their website and they have a contact form. But if they don't, yeah. It's, Maybe if you ask really nicely. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wasn't going to say. <laughs> Can you please just, just peek into the database? Come and on, get them come on. Just need an email address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is tough. Good. Well, hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully that uh, helps answer the question. And when we pop up to one that uh, just jumped jumped over that question <laughs> briefly while we were here. Um, oh, uh, well, it's probably a quick question or a quick answer. And we kind of touched on before, but where do you recommend looking to find uh, plugins to buy or sell? So I know, uh, Phil, you have had good luck with what FE International, which you might want to link to. Yeah, but two different uh, experiences there. Yeah, I mean, um, the first when I when I uh, sold the picture sharing plugin in 2015, I actually had my plugin listed with them. So they're, they're a brokerage that matches, they vet and match buyers and sellers. And so it's not gonna, it's not like an open, you can view their listings, um, but they're, they've started a certain point. Uh, so they're not, they don't have really low, like sub five figure um, stuff for sale. And you have to go through a process to become a buyer, or even get listed. And it's a long process. Uh, whereas like Flippa, so that's one place. And, um, you know, yeah, I think another thing to consider is, um, what kind of buyer or seller are you, are you, or are you looking for? Uh, I'll give you a personal example. Um, if you are looking to sell your plugin and you come to me asking if I want to buy your plugin, if you go through a broker, I'm completely not interested. Um, and that's just because of my per my personality, who I am, what I, the way that I value relationships. Uh, I recently had a broker reach out to me with some really nice numbers, a really nice looking business and said, we'd like to discuss this with you if you're interested. I said, sure, why not? Oh, we need you to sign the NDA. I will not do it. If you want to talk to me, come to me as the owner and come have a conversation. Um, so to me, that's, it's important to think about who you're selling to. Um, if you're looking to sell something to another company that you trust or that you know already, don't go through a broker, approach them, approach them directly. If you like, if you have a particular person or type of person in mind, if you don't care who you sell it to and you're just looking for the number, brokers are great because they do that. They they do that work for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, when I sold the simple calendar, the Google calendar plugin, I did kind of a hybrid approach to that. So at that point I I was more in the line what you're thinking, Pippin. I wanted to, I didn't want to just sell it to anybody. I wanted it to, cause I actually had a not, favorable experience with the 
old Pinterest plugin um, as far as who got it and how it was kind of abandoned and, and such after. Um, so I it took longer, but I like that I did it this way. I Probably about six six months it took from starting to seek people out that I thought might be interested and actually getting the sale. So I actually talked to some folks in the WordPress space that have event calendar products and, you know, founders of those products and um, talked to them about it, had a good conversation. It was like three different no's, but <laughs> it was, it was good. I, you know, I tried. And then, um, and then when I met, um, so it was sure Swift capital, they were uh, acquiring uh, they had acquired WP touch and, and, but they were acquiring mostly SAS apps and some plugins and some other products. And, um, they also, I, you know, I, I met, met, uh, the eventual buyer at microconf and thought, you know, it is, a, it will be a good fit. And I trust the guy we talked in person, talked, talked on Slack. Um, and so what we ended up using, and it was actually his request. We ended up probably because of the maybe because of the dollar amount too, at a certain point. Um, he went, we used FE international to, to do all the, like the legal documentation, the, the due diligence, make sure everything was covered. Um, so we agreed upon it for, to on the acquisition ahead of time, but then use them for all the paperwork. So it was kind of a hybrid approach in that sense. So it's kind of like putting a, putting a large purchase through escrow, making sure that everybody fulfills their end of the bargain. And then once everybody has done that, funds and assets get released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the escrow was actually the part after that. And we still did that with a, um, but FE just has so many questions and details they ask, and they have such a record of evaluating SaaS and um, plugins and all, you know, software online businesses that he just wanted to use them. And we both had a relationship with them already. So that's what we did. Um, yeah, but you don't have to do it that way. Does it restrict you? Like if you sign whatever with a broker and then you start, you know, you meet Pippin at a WordCamp and you want to try and hash something out directly, like, are you restricted from doing that or like, is it exclusive or? Yeah. So I think once I, so I didn't do that here. I, I waited to use the broker until after I was, we had a handshake deal. Um, but yeah, if you already list with them and then you find a buyer yourself, I, I believe Maybe you can work this differently, um, but I believe you have to go for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. You have to go through the broker at that point, so they get their commission. Right. Um, but uh, trying to think, what else? But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't do any. We didn't do any NDAs when I talked to these other folks when we got on Skype and stuff. We, t- I, you know, that's when I started. When we had that trust that we built just from a conversation, that's when I revealed numbers and things like that. I, we didn't do NDAs and such. Um, even to these three other folks that, that declined. So yeah. cool. that's good to know. Yeah. If you, if you do go down the, the broker route and then you find your ideal buyer, you yeah, know. but there are other places I haven't used. There's Flippa that's been around forever. Um, there is empire flippers. I've never used them, <laughs> but I don't know if they do plugins much though. I might. And then tiny dot website is one that I heard of. <laughs> I think that's mostly SaaS apps. But yeah, I know, right? There's there's a bunch of little ones out there, or little ones, uh, smaller volume ones. But uh, anyway, nice. So some places to look. Cool. Hopefully that uh, helped, Scott. Good. Um, so now this next question is kind of on the logistics um, in our mm-hmm. meeting time. Um, so when a plugin is acquired, what assets are 
typically sold? This might be a quick, quick answer, actually. Domain, data on existing customers. Is it common for the acquiring company to seek employment from the current development team, uh, et cetera? So um, I think I would think it's everything. The, the first two are pretty straightforward. Yes, the domain, the existing customers, whatever, whatever kind of a mailing list, uh, customer history, transaction records, et cetera. Those almost always go with it, yeah. um, at least in some form or other. They may not like, for example, you may not transfer over a Stripe account or a PayPal account, but at least you'll give an export of all of the data that you did collect from those customers. Almost always goes domain almost always the basically whatever brand assets you have everything from artwork to domain to to um logos etc it's it's usually all goes as part of the package trademarks um, yeah mm-hmm. um the last one for current team to seek employment that is all going to depend on your deal and if i mean if you're talking about that's usually what's going to happen when you're talking about like a full business acquisition as opposed to a single product um or, I mean, you can do it with just a single product as well. Because you could, Let's say that you have a big company of 50 people and 10 of them work on this product that you're selling. You might, those 10 people might go with the product. Um, but that's really going to come down to your negotiations and the deal. Um, something to consider is that if that's something that the buyer wants, if they're looking to acquire the team too, it probably will inflate the number that they're willing to pay you significantly if you send the team with it. Because that means that they are basically getting not only the product and the customers, but they're getting the really valuable asset of the team and the experience that team has, the knowledge the team has, et cetera. Um, sometimes that's done where uh, they just want you for a year uh, maybe, or for some transition period, basically, let's say like a one-year minimum commitment. Sometimes it's longer than that. Sometimes they say, nope, I don't want you at all. I just want your stuff. Um, and that's it's all going to be part of the negotiation. I'd say it's, it's common. Um, I don't know if it's more common than to not. Yeah. And, uh, on that, on that note, like, um, a couple of things here, you might, you might be saying, no, I, me or, or my developers are not going with it. You can dictate that in the beginning, first of all. And then, but my, for instance, in mine, um, I, I have a service called WP SAS that helps out, um, their team that does tier one support me and so since they service other SaaS and plugins they could go with them and it wouldn't affect them continuing on with my existing products here i'll link them real quick that's nice uh, yeah. so that they did use them because they're like well this support team already knows the product that i'm acquiring i can use them at least for a while uh and so that was and it's not like there was a it, it kind of just made it a little more attractive less work whereas no, my developers were not going with with the sale, so they did have they did say, okay, well, we have some WordPress developers, we're prepared for that. And on that note, you will sign like, hey, I need you you need to be available as the former owner, even when escrow's finished and everything, and you have the money in the bank, um, you know, to help out. Kind of like when you leave, you know, if you leave a job, your former employer would be like, hey, I mean, if there's some kind of issue, you forgot to communicate, can we shoot you an email or this or that? Um, you might, depending on the deal, you might need to sign for a bunch of hours or just sign for a certain amount of time or something. Um, and for me, I, I said, sure, I'll, I'll help out for a while, but I knew they had great developers and I trusted the, the, the buyer and I hardly had to do anything. Cause I, you know, I gave them all the documentation, communication and, and existing knowledgeable support people, um, with the, with the acquisition. So, um, 
And as far as like the like typically the last, so the they'll they'll deposit money into an escrow account, um, and then you'll release you'll start transferring everything over, and you'll release the domain. La- at least that's what I did. At least the domain release the domain kind of last after everything else is like ownership of the domain last. Mm-hmm. But there's always more than you think um, that needs to go over. Like, so I'm gonna if you don't mind, Brian and Kyle, I'm gonna link another post here. Sure. That people, if you're interested in a little more details on this story, I posted this on Freemius last year. Um, at the bottom, even I listed, like there's a lot more things that need to transfer over that just take time. So Google accounts, Google analytics, all your free plugins on wordpress.org, Git repos, um, you know, all the light, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's, you just kind of have to have that list and start building that list and be prepared. So let's see, you have a panic button that like deletes everything. <laughs> Someone's hacking. <laughs> then you can just go through what it deletes and send it over. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, yeah. So hopefully that uh, helped Brad and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, it is a decent amount of work to, to sell is what I'm hearing. Right. I've never done it, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's not just uh you know, get money in the bank tomorrow and you're, you're good. <laughs> There's negotiation and then the asset physical. Asset yeah. Transfer. Sorry. One more thing I thought of, I had up cash uh, upfront cash on both my sales, but some people will work out over time. It's just kind of up to you and, and what you're willing to do. So mm-hmm. might be a six month thing for this, say 50% of it and 50% upfront. So yeah, there's all kinds of deals. That's a tough one, yeah. Because then you're yeah. you're not really transferring a lot of the assets, and what if you stop transferring stuff? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and watch out for tax time. Oh yeah, the next year. Yeah, <laughs> if you're not an incorporated uh, business and you can't, yeah, level that off <laughs> with when yeah. you take it out. Uh, yeah, that can that can be a little thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cool. So next question would be from Adam. Hi, Adam. Um, so can a non-developer be an investor in a plugin business? And I know yes. we touched on a little bit, but yeah. Sure. You have money? Money can do things. <laughs> yes. You just might have to count that cost of the development if it's a single founder. <laughs> that, yeah. Hey, you're going to have to hire someone. Probably. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, my, in my case, that the guy I talked to was not a developer, but he had development staff. So, yeah, I've engaged in relationships like this before. It's kind of partnering with or having silent partners on little projects before, like friend who got a good job and a close personal friend is like, I want to throw some money at this Internet thing that you do or whatever. Uh, So I said, all right, well, there's a plugin that I wish I had time to make, but I don't. So let's throw your money at that. And I've got a channel to sell it through. and, And I have a pretty good projection of what I think it will return. And so we've done little things like that uh, that were kind of fun, mostly just with like very close personal friends that we have a very good relationship with, never with uh, strangers or passing acquaintances. Um, but uh, back alley deals of selling your friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the money's pretty good, I think. You know, like we've been consistently able to just get like, I don't know, investment back in less than a year, maybe six months. and roll that into the development of the next little plugin and uh, just kind of have fun with that. But um, it has a lot to do with, uh, uh, I think the context of the question, like your relationship with people and and that trust and and knowing that developers will have to be involved. Um, So you're either partnering with them or funding them directly. 
they're you know they're the critical player in the in the process well and just to give an example let's say that um i decide that my team that i want to build another product but maybe everybody that's currently on the team is already 100 full with their ability and time on other projects and somebody comes in and says, I really want this to be built. We say, sure, we can build it, but we have to hire a new developer in order to do it. And you could use that as an opportunity to say, well, we can do that, but you have to put the money up to hire that developer. Like that's your investment into, into this product is you give us the cash flow to hire a dedicated developer to make this project happen. Um, I think that's a pretty common scenario. I haven't heard that happening actually. So, so you're almost hiring a developer to come in or like to augment your team, right? Well, I mean, whether, yeah, whether it's, whether it's so, I mean, I, the example I gave is my existing team, but it could be anybody. I mean, you could, Brian, let's just say that it's, it's you personally and you would, you and somebody decide to build a product. Um, in order to build that product, you need a developer to come on board with you, but mm -hmm. there's no cash flow to pay the developer. And so your, your partner comes in and provides all the cash to hire that developer. Yep, but I'm the one who's kind of managing it and, and yep. yeah, pushing the business forward in that technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, that can sense. work really well sometimes. There are those times where, like, you know, as developers, we get the great offer of the person who has the cool idea, for one, and extends the opportunity to partner with you. You know, we could go in on this together. Those are always awesome opportunities and take every one that comes your way. That's my advice. <laughs> especially if they back out. <laughs> nice cool so i hope that uh that helped adam and um so the next the question that has a lot of votes we i think we covered pretty much everything like through the other questions like selling a plugin searching for buyers kind of legal steps unless someone else has some thought on that uh that we haven't covered yet I think the main thing with, with legal steps that maybe we didn't cover, um, I, we touched on it a little bit, um, mostly Phil did, but if you're selling something, be, be mindful of the, the actual, like the technical process of selling it, not just what data are you giving, what's the price you're getting, who you're selling to, et cetera, but how are you actually going to make sure that both ends hold up the deal? And this is where, where the legal stuff comes in. Um, for example, let's say that you sell a product for $30,000 um, or $50,000 or something like that. You want to make sure that that check actually comes in and deposits into your account before you let everything go. Um, and then from their side, they want to make sure that when they've when their when their $50,000 check is deposited into your account, that you actually follow through with your end of the deal to provide the, this stuff that you said you're going to. Um, and so that's where you're going to get legal contracts will come in, escrow accounts, escrow agents, et cetera. All of that kind of stuff happens. Um, usually, it's it's not that big of a deal when you're when you're um, doing small deals. I mean, like I, I've sold a plugin for a thousand dollars before. It was pretty much a handshake deal because me and the buyer knew each other pretty well, and we knew that there was not going to be any problems. But um, we did it. I did a deal with a guy um, three or four years ago, and it was a much larger sum. We had no idea who each other were. We are total strangers. Um, in that case, we went through the right channels to set up a legal contract that was um, put together by a, by a professional lawyer. We went through an escrow agent. We went through used escrow to actually handle a transaction of the data and of the funds. Um, do it right. Don't, don't let yourself get burned or um, get scammed by accident. Yeah. yeah. And we, I think we covered the preparing the step, like uh, as far as the 
basically gathering all the records and stats that you think the buyer might be interested in um, ahead of time, uh, organic search and your clicks from your free plugins and all the referrals. And I mean, anything, and that's where like a brokerage, like FE international, they'll have that on their questionnaire. But um, you know, that, that post on freemius, I linked, I kind of went through some of that, but there's just going to be a lot of records that, potential buyers want to see. So you might as well start documenting. It's kind of good to get a pulse of your own business anyway, even if you don't end up selling. So I like that a lot. Um, one of the the best piece of advice that, that I ever heard from, I have no idea where I got it, but um, it pretty much governs how I, I operate today and how my company runs is that it doesn't matter whether you're intending to or not, always be preparing your company to sell. S prepare from yeah. day one to sell your product, to sell your product, to sell your company. Um, because it's not that everybody's going to sell. It's not that you should even be thinking about it. However, if the opportunity ever comes up and you realize that you want to go forward with it, you will so greatly appreciate having all of that stuff already done. Having your books in order, having, if you have, if your company has two products, having the revenue streams of those products separate, having the accounting of those separate, having the customer records of those separate. Think about, okay, what happens if I sell this company in five years? What are you going to need? Do it today, not, not in five years. Um, and, so one, you're going to greatly appreciate that if the time comes to ever sell your product or your company. And then it's also just, that just puts you in a good position because now, hey, your accounting's in order. Your records are in order. Your data is all, all clean. Um, and so even if you never sell or ever, ever have a prospective buyer, that's something you will never regret doing. Yeah, that's the funny thing that like all the things that you do like to prepare and make us a uh, business ready to sell or sellable also are the things that help operations like help the business just run more effectively like th th there's no lose it's win-win help you make decisions too right you can see things are going up and down if the, everything's the only together, you know? to it is that a lot of those things are just not the super fun things to do they're not <laughs> building a cool new product and so it's a little bit of the, yeah. the work that um, either owners or the people, the people that owners have hired that they tend to get to do. And it's maybe not that fun, but the results are really good. Yeah. It's a funny analogy. My next door neighbor is trying to sell his house. And what is he doing? New floors, new yep. granite countertops. <laughs> yeah. If he had done it all over the last five years, he would be set. <laughs> we're not selling our house, so we're thinking about it, but we have new countertops going But if he doesn't sell, just in case. Nice <laughs> yeah, nice upgraded house. <laughs> it's like a two-month process, right? So it's, you can't do that quick. Uh, too far. That's a good analogy, actually. Yeah. I just remember this. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so well, we're at time. I hope uh, this has been super helpful. I've learned a lot. Um, so I really appreciate uh, Pippin and Phil, you guys coming on and uh, and helping like answer it. these questions. Yeah, sure. So if you guys do like uh, show notes for these. We will. You know. We should do the show notes. Yes. So if you go to selling, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, the chat history is there. Um, and yes, I would like okay. to create individual pages uh, for each one. But if you go to like how linked uh, sellingplugins.com forward slash podcast. And that will uh, get you access to all the past episodes, including this one. And you can rewatch it at your leisure. It's also on iTunes or whatever they call themselves of a podcast and uh, Stitcher. Uh, so it'll be up there soon. So, And we'll be back uh, in one month with another, another topic. One-ish, yes. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for having us on, Brian and Kyle. And thanks for everyone else tuning in here. That was fun. Yeah. Thanks Cheers, again, folks. everyone. Great. <laughs> Cheers. Have a great day.